Appreciate it. All right, good morning, kids. Have a blast out there. I'm grateful to be here with you all this morning. Um, so, uh, just my cards on the table. A month or so ago, I guess, when Tony asked me to fill in for him on this day, he, he, he asked what he, what he normally asks. He says, hey, do you got something you could preach? And I said, yeah, I think I do. I, uh, I've, I've learned over the years to, you know, to, to, to try to have something in, your, in my back pocket at all times, you know, something, something ready to go or close to be re- being ready to go. So what I'm going to share with you this morning is something that I've, I've, I've spoken on before, only to much smaller groups and, and usually about in a 10-minute in a, in a lesson. So I, I'm excited to get to flesh this out a little bit today, and I trust that God will use it. I'm encouraged He will because as I was here last week listening to Tony's message and, and, and helping the band you know, play the songs that we sang last week, I was, I was thinking to myself the whole time, wow, this is going to flow perfectly into what I, I'm preparing for, for this Sunday. And I love it when God does that kind of thing. It's nothing we planned or anything like that. So as we get started this morning, if you were here last week especially, I want you to have in your mind the supernatural realities that we saw in 2 Kings chapter 6, when, you know, d- despite being surrounded by powerful enemies on all sides, Elisha's servant gets to see what Elisha sees. And we get to see what Elisha sees. Chariots of fire. God working uh, in, in ways unseen to our, our human eyes, behind the scenes, so to speak. Truthfully, what we can perceive as reality is is just a sliver of what God is doing. So I hope to build on that a little bit today. I want to start with a question. Have you ever been at the end of a long journey? Maybe a long plane ride or a, or a car drive. And just had a, a moment of like unusual clarity. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because we're so tired that the the normal parts of our brain are toast and some like often used part back here somewhere just you know kicks into overdrive and and makes us think weird things maybe it's just nostalgia for being home or trying to process the the experiences that we've that we've just had I don't whatever the whatever the reason I've had a, a couple of those in my life and I remember one in particular that feels like it was yesterday, although it'll be seven years ago this coming October. It happened on a short flight from, from Philadelphia down to Knoxville, which was the end of a not-so-short not so uh, journey, 24-plus hours, back from Kathmandu, Nepal, home to East Tennessee. Many of you guys have probably heard me talk about the trip to Nepal that I got to take with friends from our, our planting church in Knoxville. This was back in 2015. And if you haven't, uh, and you're so inclined, you're welcome to ask me, because I, I love talking about this trip, because I know it sounds cliche, but it, it was one of those really impactful, life-changing moments for me. But this, this sermon today isn't about the trip, 
this sermon today is about the last 30 minutes of that last flight home. We started in, in Kathmandu, Nepal, went to Delhi, India. From there, we went to Doha, Qatar. And from there, a 13-hour flight all the way to Philadelphia, USA. But it was on the very last flight, just a, a tiny little hour-long flight from Pennsylvania down to Knoxville, that something happened that not only framed that whole trip for me, but it really changed the way I think about almost everything. I want to talk to you this morning about, about the mountains. I want to talk about mountains. I love, I love the mountains. I'm guessing if you, if you live here, you, you probably do too. One of my favorite views in the whole world, and I've seen a lot of good views, is driving down Highway 92 into Dandridge. When you, when you sort of start to go down the hill towards the, the lake, and, 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 the, and, the, and the mountains just open up in front of you on a clear day, it's like you can just reach out and touch them. You know, I've lived here my whole life, and it, it took me leaving home and spending time elsewhere for me to really appreciate that view. There's a reason, I'll say this, there's a reason that people stop for gas at exit 417 and never, li never leave. Some of you are probably those people. Honestly, I feel strange if I'm away from the mountains for too long. It's just odd, like they're not there. It's like a, it feels like a safety net almost for me. I've been out west, and if you go down to Florida, I just feel, I feel odd. They become a comfort to you after a while. But you know, there's a way of talking about the mountains that we've inherited from generations past that speak of mountains as obstacles. I suppose they were to the farmers who lived here in generations before us. If you're trying to get somewhere, if you're trying to find a, if you're trying to find a place to raise a family, start a farm, do some, do some raising, but there's, but there's a mountain in your way, you've got, you've got three options. You can go around it, you can go up and over it, or you can dig through it. And none of those are easy. A mountain is something that is in your way. It looms large between you and something, something you want. I think about it every time we drive to Asheville. We love Asheville on I-40. I think these mountains are gorgeous. This is dangerous. On that little stretch of interstate where it's just two lanes. We all have those kind of things in our life. Things that stand between us and whatever it is we think we want. If you look around the room here this morning, there's not a single person here that doesn't have a mountain in their life that they're, that they're dealing with, that they're trying to conquer. We all have things, not two out of three of us, every single one of us. No exceptions. Life is not easy. Things happen. We all have challenges. And I say that as someone I know. I have been challenged incredibly little thus far in my life. That being said, turn with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. I want to read a few verses for you starting in verse 14. <clears throat> 
And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Now, what what comes next is really striking, I think. The disciples are, are frustrated because they've failed to do something that they should have been able to do. By all accounts, they have done already, and they want to know why. You would too, I think. Verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. How many times have you heard, probably in church, you know, in response to some crisis that you're dealing with, to just have more faith? I don't know about you, but that's what I tell myself when something happens and I, you know, I have a a lack of clarity about something. I tell myself, God, Chris, just have more faith. And that's true in a sense. So we treat faith like motor oil. We just add more. That's usually the first and the only thing we can think to do. Just have more faith. But what Jesus says about the mustard seed here in Matthew, I think, I think blows up our preconceptions about faith because a mustard seed is tiny. I've got a picture of one. A mustard seed is not large. Can you just imagine the disciples looking at each other and thinking, man, my faith's bigger than that. I mean, we've, we've followed you, Jesus. We've left everything to follow you. We've given up everything. We've, we've cast out demons before. So, I mean, what gives? That's what's so baffling about this saying. I don't know about you, but I've never cast out a demon. They didn't teach exorcisms in my seminary training <laughs> How can I make the mountains move? Some of you are thinking, like me, I could hardly function half the time. I'm just lucky to make it through the week. That's what the imagery of faith-moving mountains makes me think. And that's not wholly incorrect response, I don't think. Moving a mountain was a common metaphor in, in Jewish literature back in the day for doing what was seemingly impossible. Let me show you a couple of examples from, this is just from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Isaiah 49. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Isaiah 54. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. 
Did you notice in those verses, in, in all these examples from Isaiah, who's talking? God. And who is making these mountains move? Church answer. It's God. Which is the key, I think, to the mystery of the mustard seed. See, it's not the size of the faith or the amount of faith that counts, as if it could be measured. It's the object of our faith that really matters. So you can have all the faith in the world in people, and you will be let down. Not too long ago, here where we live, people had all the faith in the world that slavery was tolerable, even preferable. And a few years before that, People had all the faith in the world that the sun revolved around the earth, which was flat, by the way. Those people were wrong. It didn't matter how much they believed it, they were wrong. Their faith was in the wrong things. But when faith is in the right thing, like Jesus is saying, the impossible suddenly becomes possible. I love how Jesus says this just a couple chapters later. You flip over to Matthew chapter 19 in, in his interaction with the rich young ruler. I love this, starting in verse 24, chapter 19. Again, I tell you, this is Jesus talking, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's impossible. It doesn't happen. Camels don't go through eyes of needles. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. When our faith is rightly placed in Jesus, the most impossible thing ever isn't just, it's not just possible. It, it's, it's accomplished. And because of that, and through that, the mountains in our lives begin to look a little different. At least they should. That's why Paul can say to live as Christ, to die is gain, because he knows there's, that nothing can separate him from the love of God through Christ Jesus. I just combined a couple verses there, but... You, you know why. And, and because he knew, he knew that it changed everything for him. You ever get in a complaining contest with someone? That's what I call it, at least. I think siblings are really good at this, and spouses are really good at this. Kristen's smiling because she knows we do this all the time. I'll come home from work, and she'll say, oh, uh, well, she's been texting me all day about this, by the way. Oh, my gosh, the kids were terrible today and I'll say well you didn't have to deal with what I had to deal with at work it was terrible oh yeah well blue our dog ran through the house covered in mud and I'll say well you should have seen traffic like we're just back and forth all the time it's like we're trying to compete for some award of who had the worst day and it's pathetic because it's not a contest when we do that kind of thing and I'm the worst when we do that kind of thing, when, when negativity is so quick to come to, our, to our, our lips, when we're distracted by and focusing on 
the mountains in our lives, obstacles, uh, problems, struggles we have. Now, there's a place for that, especially, especially for a married couple. But it is fundamentally not a lack of faith, but misplaced faith. Because we're focusing on the height disparity between us and the mountains surrounding us, and not the God of flaming chariots and angel armies who is mighty to save and does so time and time again. If your faith is in yourself to conquer those, those, those mountains, then yeah. Yeah, send out those cries for help. Be as passive-aggressive with people as you want to be because you're in trouble, and so am I. But Christian, not you, not me, we should be like David. I, I, I'm going to read all of this because I just, I can't not. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Catch this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And after, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If life is a roller coaster of hills and valleys, and it is, why do the valleys represent hard times? Because in a valley, it appears as if you're surrounded by mountains. And you're hemmed in, and you can't see the way out. And you've got to climb out of this thing. Your perspective is, is, is limited by what you can see right in front of you. All you can, it's just so daunting sometimes. But David says, even then, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. That's your testimony. If you know Jesus, that's your testimony. It does not matter how low or how humbled you are or how big the mountains in your life might be. His grace is sufficient for his power is made perfect in weakness. I want to introduce you to a guy. This is, this is George Mallory. If you're a, a mountaineer or a hiking enthusiast, you, you, you maybe heard of this guy. He's one of the most famous ones to ever live. He was, a, he was an English guy who went on the first British expeditions to Mount Everest in the 1920s. And in 19, I think June 1924, now we're, we're talking, this was 29 years before Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay became the first documented humans to summit Mount Everest. It was, it was just like in 1953, not that long ago. Decade, a couple decades before that, George Mallory set out 
he had this far to go. He set out to accomplish the last little leg before getting to the top from the, from the north face side. And was never seen again. Well, until 75 years later, they found his body in 1999. And we still don't know whether he got to the top or not. He, he might have done it, but we don't know. To this day, we're still looking for the camera that we knew he had. Because it might contain evidence that he got to the top 30 years before 1953. It's a mystery. But you know what wasn't a mystery? And what isn't to this day? Why he died trying. Because just a couple of years before he disappeared, the New York Times actually asked him, why risk life and limb to climb a mountain? And his answer, because it's there. Because it's there. It was the ultimate challenge. It was a symbol of the impossible a great, a great beckoning, if you will, to do what, quite frankly, no human was intended to do. To Mallory and the, the thousands that have followed him, Everest is a call to conquer. And the same is true of every hill and mountain out there. And the same is true for us when mountains in, our, in life stand in our way. James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you, may be, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. These mountains, these obstacles, whatever they might be, life's uncertainties, they are not random, callous happenings, luck or fate. Hard as it is, when you're taking step after step, and you can only see five feet in front of you, this is grace. Remember what we talked about last week. There's so much we can't see with these eyes. And what we can see is pointing us to so much more. What if? What if these mountains, these, these situations where you just can't go it alone, are intended by a loving, divine providence to take your eyes and make you look up, embrace your smallness, and put your faith, however big or small, in the only God capable of moving mountains. What if we looked at the mountains in our life as memorials to the story God is telling. All throughout the Old Testament, we, we see this. They're always, you know, Jerusalem, where the temple sat, was on the top of a mountain. 
they would put altars on top of mountains. And time and time again, we see them piling rocks up to remember specific instances of the Lord working on their behalf. The Bible literally says in several places to do so, that when your children ask, hey, what do these rocks mean? You'll be able to tell them stories of God's faithfulness throughout your generations. I'm sure some of you have hiked Mount Leconte before. It's still there. The mountain doesn't go away after we conquer it all the time. Oftentimes it endures as a reminder, a, a monument to God's faithfulness to us. I think of Paul's thorn in the flesh. It's like a war memorial. You remember the pain of what was lost and the sacrifice, yes, but you celebrate and remember the victory won by God's grace. I've tried to remind our students over the years that the cross, the cross is both a reminder and proof that there is literally nothing that God will not do to love you. That God the Son would willingly suffer and die in our place on a Roman cross, high and, and lifted up, then we should humbly thank God at every hill and valley. He will not leave us. He will not abandon us to walk through life on flat, level ground where it's easy to think we have no need of him or we can be helped. He will not do that to us. Did you know that the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, it just keeps breaking its attendance record year after year after year? In 2021, over 14 million people came to visit the backdrop of what we get to call home. 14 million. The second most visited park in the country, 5 million guests. Places like Yellowstone, the Grand Canyon, Yosemite, they're not even close. We live in a very special place. So when I looked out that window of that plane on that last flight home that day, it's a clear, bright day. I got the best view you could ever ask for. Right outside my, my window seat, stretched out to the north from Pennsylvania down into West Virginia and then down to North Carolina and, and Tennessee was the whole Appalachians. I could, see, I could see Mount Leconte. I felt like I could touch it. I, could, I looked down and I saw Bristol Motor Speedway right there. And I saw the, the I-4081 split and there's Cherokee Lake. There's Douglas Lake. I was, I was home. But you know what was going through my mind at that exact moment? What I was thinking as I, as I beheld my beloved Smoky Mountains? I thought, these mountains are really, really small. Klingman's Dome is the highest peak in the Smokies, 6,643 feet, which is only about 40 feet smaller than Mount Mitchell in North Carolina, which is the tallest point east of the Mississippi. 
Now, there are the tallest mountains in the lower 48 are in, in places like Colorado, California, some in Washington. They get up to about 14,000 feet, so twice that. And there are 10 peaks in Alaska that are taller than anything in the lower 48 states. Mount McKinley is the highest, highest peak in all of North America, actually, just over 20,000 feet tall. But Nepal, where I had just been, where I had just spent two weeks, a country about the same size as Tennessee has eight of the ten tallest mountains in the world. In Mount Everest, where George Mallory still is today, 29,031 feet high and growing a third of an inch every year. So yeah, I had never seen things like this. And unless I go back, I never will. Big doesn't even do it justice, how big these mountains are. And so yeah, taking it all in from my window seat that day, all I could think of was, man, I used to think my mountains were big. It doesn't, it doesn't mean they're not awesome. They're just tiny compared to other mountains in the world. This is called perspective. And you see, sometimes I think that my problems are the biggest out there. So much so that I can hardly conceive how, how the things you're dealing with would even compare to my stuff. I'd rather... I'd rather judge you and compare the adversities that we're going through. Isn't it just like us to do this? Comparison is the thief of joy. Even when we're comparing problems and judging, judging others is just a sign that we're blinded by the log in our own eye. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. You don't know what I'm dealing with. None of us are mind readers. You may be scaling Mount Everest at home while I'm over here hiking in the Smokies somewhere, and I'd never know that. Or what seems to me an impossibly hard situation might be a walk in the park to you. God gives us different mountains to climb, and he gives each a measure of faith to conquer the mountains he gives us. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Friends, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks that day. The things that I think are challenging may not be challenging to others. Without that perspective, you can be lost in a world of comparison that will only serve to siphon away your faith from Jesus to things that will let you down. Your faith may not look like anyone else's. Your journey might look totally different than the people sitting next to you this morning. What unites us, though, is that when we fix our eyes on Jesus... 
the author and perfecter and object of our faith. Anything is possible. He's already moved the biggest mountain. He's the only one that can move mountains. He's done the impossible. He's, he's worthy to be praised when we're on top of the mountain and when the mountain's in our way, like the song we sang last week said. Let's be good to one another as we go. Hiking, climbing, walking, whatever you want to call this journey of life we're on, it's better with friends. As you look around, you don't know how big the mountains in their life are until you do. Walk a mile in their shoes. Ask and mean it. How you doing? Look at things from their perspective. Share your stories of valleys and mountaintops and encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for the, the times, even in my, my short life, I can look back and I can see where I didn't have the answer. And it wasn't much fun. Very little fun. But with a little perspective, I can look back and I can see how you were working in my life. You put people in my life to comfort me, to speak truth to me. And I thank you for your word, which is a balm to so many cuts and bruises that we get along the way. God, my experience is, is, may not be like everyone in this room, but you've given us each other to walk alongside each other, to help us conquer the mountains that are in our lives, the obstacles, the things we face, challenges, insecurities. Dear Lord, mountains are beautiful from a distance. When we're on the slopes, not so much. Remind us, remind us of that mountain, that, that hill, however big it must have been, where 2,000 years ago you, you sent your son to die on a cross for us. There is nothing that we cannot conquer through Jesus because you've already done it. When we're in the middle of the, of the stuff. Hold us, hold us close to the truth that you have already made a way. And you love us. What, what can stand against us? Nothing. Nothing. Through Jesus. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.